Okay. Uh, first, for those of you who came expecting to hear a message from Pastor Mike or Pastor Justice, I apologize. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, I was asked to uh, speak this morning, uh, so I, I will honor God and, and try to do that. Uh, you know, it's interesting how God has you in different areas of your Christian walk. Uh, for those who've been believers for a long time, you see God weaves you through different paths as you go through life. <clears throat> a few years ago, I uh, became very interested uh, in eschatology and started studying it, and it seemed like everything I saw Bible verses, hearing people, uh, preachers, reading books, all talked about eschatology. And that was kind of the thing that was on my mind. Um, but about a year ago, God led Sandy and I uh, into another area of life that, that really uh, opened my eyes to some things. And, and that was false teaching, false teaching that, that's creeping uh, in the church and among many Christians. Back uh, early February, uh, David Vaughn spoke, and uh, I don't know if you remember, he talked about the lordship of Christ and how secularism is creeping into the church. A very good sermon. If you've not heard it, you need to go back and listen to it. You know, that really resonated with me. It's where society is going. And then last week, Pastor Mike uh, talked about uh, prophets, how God has always had prophets, okay? Um, And if you listen to that sermon... Pastor Mike took us all through the Old Testament. I mean, Zephaniah, Mike, really? Zephaniah? How many of us had to look, where is Zephaniah, right? But, but it's, a, it's a very good sermon. I encourage you to go listen to that. God has always had true prophets. And these prophets, over time, have cried out, you know, uh, the, the, the problem with sin and how you need to repent of sin and come back to God. So there's always, as God has always had, true prophets, there have always been false prophets and false teachers. Um, and this false teaching is even beginning to creep into the church and uh, being accepted by some Christians. And it, it kind of results in people chasing after non-biblical ideas and non-biblical philosophies. And the problem is, at first it sounds harmless, but, but it has uh, uh, tr- dramatic consequences when taken to the end. In Mark 13, 22, Jesus warns us. He says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise. Not may arise, but they will arise. And we show signs and wonders, and listen to this, in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. So today, I'm going to go back to the beginning of false teaching in the Scripture. Okay, And we're going to see how that started and how what Satan said applies to today and how that's coming into the church. And I want to sound a warning. I want to sound a warning to all believers here. You need to have your antenna up. You need to be watching for these because they sound very innocent. Matter of fact, they sound right. They use the right terms. But there's a very different meaning, and we will talk about all that. So if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to roll my sleeves up. I think it's about 20 degrees hotter up here, Mike, than it is out there. Okay, so in Genesis uh, chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, 
But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave it also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. God, I just pray... uh, that you will speak to us through your scripture this morning. I pray your Holy Spirit would just come in and prepare our minds, prepare our hearts, that we may hear the word from you this morning. Uh, Father, I pray that, uh, that uh, you would just, just illuminate us, Father, and uh, I just pray uh, distractions would be to a minimum. Father, I pray all the stuff that went, was going on uh, this past week in our lives would be put aside for a few minutes, God, and that we, we, we would just concentrate uh, on you and hear what you have to say to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the first thing I want to do as we go through this scripture is I, I want to kind of look at what's going on here. Uh, so one of the first characters we see in here is the serpent, right? Talking about the serpent. And we know really what the serpent is. The serpent is, uh, is Satan talking to Eve. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Ezekiel 28. I want to talk just a little bit about the enemy that we have. I don't want to glorify the enemy, but it's important that we know from Scripture what the Scripture says about the enemy. So in Ezekiel 28, here's what it says. It says, uh, Thus says the Lord God, You have the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. He's talking about Satan, okay? Full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, that's the way I pronounce it, you pronounce it the way you want to, okay? The turquoise and the emerald and the gold, the workmanship of your setting and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. Uh, You were the anointed cherub, it's an angel, who covers, and I placed you there, you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until righteous, unrighteousness was found in you. And then skipping down to verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. So we see here that, that Satan originally was created as one of God's most beautiful creations. Okay? And some way in this Genesis chapter 3, Satan was able to go into this serpent and cause this serpent to speak to Eve. Now, let me ask you, if I wanted to talk to any lady in this room right now, I would make myself look like a, a puppy dog or a baby seal, or something, a bunny, something warm, fuzzy, and cuddly, right? There are three animals I would never pick to to talk to a woman. A rat, a mouse, or a snake, right? 
think about it in a moment. Suppose right over here in front of James, a big old garter snake comes crawling out of this door and comes slithering across the room here. Garter snakes, if you don't know, they're, they're black, and they can get long. They can get four or five feet long, okay? So if that snake comes slithering across, and so, I know at least one lady here is going to have a, probably a nightmare tonight with me talking about this. If that snake comes right across here, there's one of two things that are going to happen, okay? Number one, there, there will be people fainting, okay? Or number two, there will be a mad rush for the back door, and Dan Benson will be stampeded, Okay? And that's just the men. I don't know what the women would do, right? <laughs> so, so before the fall, there was not this natural fear of snakes. There are very few people who don't have a natural fear of snakes. Okay, John Hancock was one of those. John Hancock would grab the snake and, and, and make a pet out of it. Okay, for those of you who remember John Hancock, maybe Margaret would give us a biology lesson. I don't know. But before the fall, there was not this natural fear of snakes. And so this conversation took place in heaven. Now, it's important that, that we know our enemies, okay? So I'm going to go through some briefly some, some characteristics of Satan from the Bible. I, I want to emphasize, if we want to look at Satan, we need to do it from the Bible. Don't go to outside books. Don't go to outside anything else. Stay in the Word, okay? It'll keep you grounded. Um, I'm going, I'm going to uh, call out some scriptures. I'm going to read them. I'm not going to turn to them. I already have them printed out. There are several scriptures I want to go through. If you want to make notes, you can jot them down. So first of all, Satan is a deceiver and he's crafty. In 2 Corinthians 11.3 it says, but I am afraid, Paul is talking, that as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So first of all, he's a deceiver and he's crafty. Okay? Uh, number two, he's wise. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, verses 3 through 5, it says, Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There's no secret that is a match for you. There is no secret that is a match for you. By your wisdom and understanding, you have acquired riches for yourself. You've acquired gold and silver for your treasuries. By your great wisdom, by your trade, you have increased your riches, and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Satan was created as a very wise creation, okay? And in Job chapter 1 and 2, we've all read the book of Job, and you know how there's, there's this conversation between, you know, God and Satan. And, and God, you know, sticks Job out there and says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? I, I wonder what Job really thought about that. I wish, he'd probably say, I wish he'd pick somebody else. But they have this conversation. And, and, if you, and if you look at the word used for Satan in the book of Job, what, what, his, what the term really is, is the adversary. And there's kind of an emphasis on the direct object, the. The adversary, the primary, the number one, okay? So, if, so Satan is an adversary. He is not a friend. And then in Matthew chapter 4, he's a tempter. He tempted Jesus. So after Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, he tempts Jesus, right? He tries to get Jesus to sin. And that's the difference between God and Satan. God tests us in order to build us up. Satan tempts us to tear us down and cause us to sin, okay? He's a tempter. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, okay, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Not only is he an adversary, he seeks to devour us. 2 Corinthians 2, 11, it says, So that no advantage will be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So we see there that Satan takes advantage of us 
and he is a schemer. And then uh, in Hebrews 2.14, it's talking about Jesus, and it says that through death, Jesus might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. So he has a power of death. And then in Revelation 9.11, it says, They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. That's the devil. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destruction. And in the Greek, he has the name Apollyon, which means destroyer. So he seeks whom he can destroy, okay? And then in John 8.44, he says, uh, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, you, Pharisees, are, are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. And look at what what the characteristics. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not take stand in truth because there's no truth in him. So he has no truth. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar. He's a liar by nature. And then it says, he's the father of lies. So this is who Eve is dealing with. It's of the woman. I'm going to try to use the terms in in Genesis chapter 3. The woman is dealing with this serpent. Okay? So, I read all these things about Satan, but, but, but the number one thing I want you to take away is always, 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 without exception of time or circumstance, that Satan is under the authority and the sovereignty of God. He is always under the authority and sovereignty of God. Okay, he is just another creation. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says that there's nothing new under the sun. So today we're going to read about this, the original false prophet. And we're going to see how he led this man and this woman into sin. He led them astray. And we're going to see some of the tactics he used. And, and the danger is these same tactics are coming into the church and influencing Christians today. And I want to warn you about them. I want your, your antenna to be up. Uh, we, we need to be aware of what's going on. So I'm going to talk about five things uh, that... Um, uh, the five false teachings that are coming into the church, okay? And then after that, we're going to talk about what we can do to, to overcome those false teachings. So, the five false teachings. Number one, there is a lowered view of Scripture. There is a lowered view of Scripture. If you go look at chapter uh, 3, verse, uh, verse 1... It says, and he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Now, we're going to be talking about what God says. Let's jump over to chapter 2 real quick and read exactly what God did say. So in chapter 2, verse 16, God said, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Any tree freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Okay, so the first thing he does, he kind of tosses a softball to, to, to the woman. He says, you know, as God said, you should not eat from any tree. And the woman said, got this, I caught him, right? I can handle this on my own. That's not what God said. But whenever she starts telling him what God says, she kind of not exactly says what God says. Uh, you know, she didn't say we could eat freely. She didn't say you will surely die. She just said we would die. And then she added to it. She said, or touch it. We're not supposed to touch it. So, in verse 4, Satan comes back. Uh, He says, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Come on, woman. Surely you will not die. And that's a direct 
opposite of what God said. God said, you surely will die, right? So he's causing, I mean, you can just hear the sarcasm dripping off this verse, right? He sets these false expectations for this woman. He debases what God says. He starts to cause doubt. And this, well, is that really, is that really what God said, okay? And, and the problem is, it's not a direct lie. There's a little bit of truth, but he throws a little bit of non-truth in there too, and it kind of throws her, throws her off. Um, so part of Satan's craftiness is he tries to convince us that Scripture can be uncertain or unreasonable, right? It leads to doubt, and it leads to denying of truth. So th- there's this great uh, dividing line, right? And the dividing line is what do you really believe about Scripture? What do you really believe about Scripture? Okay, Is Scripture the holy, inspired Word of God that came through the Holy Spirit to people? They wrote it down. It came to us without error. Or do you believe Scripture is down here and man's intellect is over Scripture? And you interpret Scripture in accordance with man instead of interpreting man in accordance with Scripture. That's this great dividing line that, that, that we have in front of us. Um, and, and it kind of leads to this philosophy that we read about in the book of Judges, is that everyone does what is right in their own eyes, not what they do right by what is in the Scripture, by what is in their own eyes. So, so how does this sound? How does this lowered view of Scripture sound today? Here are, some ter- here are some things you may hear people say. You know, the Bible is just a book written by people, and, and it's prone to error. It probably has errors in it because it's written by people. Or, I disagree with what the Bible says on, I am judging this. You know, I disagree with this. Uh, that may be your interpretation, right? Uh, the Bible's so old-fashioned, no one can live that way anymore. Well, you know, that's partly true, right? The Bible's not old-fashioned, but we can't live this way. That's why God gave us the law, to show us we cannot fulfill His, his law, okay? Uh, they may say it's a myth. Uh, you know, you may hear, I used to believe that, but I am more enlightened now. Once again, you know, I know better than what this book says. Or, this is one of my favorite ones I've heard, that doesn't fit in my belief system anymore. You know, you can see the Heisman Trophy guy. You know. So, you know, so anytime you hear people begin to lower uh, uh, the view of Scripture, uh, we, we need to be very careful. And I'm in trouble. I didn't bring all my pages up here. Uh, Cassandra, somebody, could you run my, my brown folder up here? I just realized it would be real short, Mike. Thank you. Okay. Too many more pages, but I would like to have the rest of that. Okay. So, number two, the second false teaching that's creeping into the church is that historic Christian terms are being redefined. Historic Christian terms are being redefined. So, uh, what Satan said here, uh, he said, uh, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Surely you're not going to die, right? Um, and what he does, he directly contradicts the Word of God. And, and look how he re, kind of redefines what God says. He says in verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. So you're not going to die, but here's what's really going to happen. You, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like God. So he kind of redefines what death is. Okay? 
So, did, did, did the man and the woman die immediately when they ate the fruit? No. If you look down there, you saw they went out and made animal-friendly organic clothing, right? So, so they got leaves, and they sewed leaves together, and they made clothing to try to cover themselves. So, so they did not die immediately. You know, when we think of death, when we, think, we read the words die, when we think of death, we tend to think of spiritual death, right? I mean, physical death. We tend to think of physical death. Um, and, and, if you, and we know here that the man and the woman did not physically die immediately when they ate the fruit. As a matter of fact, if you go over to uh, Genesis chapter 5, uh, you read about Adam and Eve, and after Cain slew Abel, it said they had another son named Seth. And Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born. Now, I don't know how old they were when this took place in the garden, but a little while later, they had another child when he was 130 years old. Eve's death is not uh, recorded, but Adam was 930 years old when he died. Okay? The physical death was not immediate. Okay? But it did come. However, there was an immediate death that took place. It's another death uh, that, that a lot of people, especially people in the world, don't, don't or, or are not aware of, and that is a spiritual death. And see, death is a separation. When there's a death, there's a separation. When there's a physical death, we're separated from someone. When there's a spiritual death, we're separated from who? From God, right? So, so, so the day that they ate of this fruit, here's what 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says. It says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Okay? So we can be dead spiritually. We can be alive physically. 1 Timothy 5, 6 is talking about widows in the church. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Revelation 3, 1 says, I know your deeds, that you, ha- that, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Okay? So, so the day they ate of that fruit, they did die. They died spiritually. Okay? So um, let me give you a quick example. I'll try to make this quick. Um, how are terms redefined? Here's how a conversation would go. You go up to someone and say, do you believe in the Bible? Yeah, I, I believe in the Bible. Do you believe the Bible's inspired? Yeah, I believe the Bible's inspired. Great. We're on the same page, right? We, we, we agree. Bible's inspired. However, what does the word inspire mean? Okay. So for those of us who are in historic Christianity, we believe that God directly inspired men by the Holy Spirit to record his words. And these words were recorded without error, and this Bible is absolute truth and authoritative all of, over all areas, right? That, that's, what, that's what we believe the Bible to mean. But if you talk to someone else who is into a false teaching, what, what they believe is not the Bible is truth. We believe the Bible is truth. They believe the Bible contains truth, okay? <clears throat> it's a huge difference. It, it sounds... <clears throat> Subtle, but there's a huge difference. Uh, <clears throat> they also believe the Bible is inspired on the same level as other Christian books, uh, songs, or sermons. They believe it contains truth, but it is not absolute truth. Okay? They don't believe it's authoritative uh, in, in, you know, over all areas uh, of our lives. So we're using the same words 
but they have different meanings. And, and, and that's one thing that's so subtle about this false teaching. You can hear someone, and, and they give a message or they're talking, they're using the right words, and the right words, according to you, the way you have them, they sound right. And so you may say, well, this is someone I need to listen to, but you need to understand, what do they really mean by those terms? What, what does that church really mean when they say the, the word's inspired? What does it really mean about Jesus, okay? Do, do, do they redefine these terms? Uh, here's some comments you may hear. God is love. He wouldn't punish innocent people. Okay? So when they say that, they had this grandfatherly type love. Okay? They, they, they mis, misdirect what love is. And they don't define love as love is defined in the scripture. They had this grandfatherly type love. You know? And I'm going to tell you, I have what, five grandchildren here today. And I will let them get by with stuff I would never let my kids get by with. Right, Micah and Nathan? See, they're not in Lucas. They, they all agree, right? Uh, and the other thing is he wouldn't punish innocent people. Who, who's innocent? I, I guarantee you, and they're, they're talking about, you know, from, from the law. I guarantee you just about every person sitting in this room probably broke the law on the way to church this morning. You probably went more than 25 miles an hour in your subdivision, okay? And if you went more than speed limit, you broke the law. None of us are innocent, okay? They, they redefine innocent. Um, the other thing they'll say, you know, Jesus was a good person uh, who died for our sins. Some of them will even deny that Jesus was God. He didn't become redeemer until he died for sins. I don't know how just a man could die for sins, okay? All religions lead to God, so they redefine the gospel. So the gospel is no longer unique to Christ. So whenever we talk to someone, we need to carefully understand the terms that, that they're using so, so we know really where they're coming from. All right, number three. Essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. Essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. Um, In verse five, it says, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, God has said when you eat from it, you will die. Okay? That's being reinterpreted here in verse 5 by Satan. He says, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God. Okay? Now, Satan should be very familiar with this because we read in Ezekiel 28, verse 17, how that was part of his downfall. He got to look into himself, his beauty, his wisdom. And he wanted to be like God, okay? And so now he's using that to turn it on the man and the woman. He told a half-truth, and he threw extra in that you will be like God, okay? And so what he's saying is, you know what? Let me tell you what this really means, okay? That's, don't worry about what it says, what God said. Let me tell you what that really means. What it really means is God doesn't want you to be like him. You know, I, 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 I will redefine this to us, Okay? Implication is God doesn't want what is best for you. He's holding something back. He has ulterior motives. So Satan is reinterpreting the scripture. He's he's interpreting it from what uh, he wants it to mean uh, to what he wants you to believe it to mean. Instead of you reading it for yourself, he's going to tell you what he wants it to mean. Uh, So it's no longer what God said, but it's what people want God to say. It's no longer about God. Now it's about man as it begins to change you 
from, from seeing what these uh, Christian doctrines really are, okay? So, how does this look in the church today? Uh, I, I think 2020 was kind of a, a, a watershed year for, for most of us. Uh, and, and I think we saw this very thing going on, how culture starts to reinterpret what the Bible says on moral issues. We saw this more in 2020 than we've ever seen before. They, they try to redefine what homosexuality is. They try to re, redefine abortion from killing babies to something else, right? They try to redefine marriage. Uh, other doctrines are, are redefined from the virgin conception, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, uh, the deity of Jesus. And, and one thing they do is they ask questions like, well, you know, what does redemption really mean? Or, you know, and, and, and they ask the question not wanting a reasoned answer, but they, they just want to create doubt. And so whenever you have people asking questions like that, your antenna needs to go up, okay? So the type of things you're going to hear is the resurrection of Jesus doesn't have to be factual to speak truth. In other words, it could be a myth, but there is some truth in there somewhere you have to find it, okay? So who, who defines what that truth is? Uh, was Jesus really God or just a good person and a teacher? Okay. Uh, did Jesus have to die on the cross? Was that really necessary? Uh, one thing they do is they redefine sin. We no longer have a sin, but we have mistakes. Okay, you know, that's just a mistake. That's just the, the, the way people are. Okay. Uh, the church's or the Bible's historic position on sexuality is archaic and needs to be updated within a modern framework. Don't you love that, you know? Really, what they're trying to do is justify a lifestyle that's not in accordance with the Scriptures. Um, another thing you'll hear is a, a redefinition uh, of the reinterpretation of the gospel is all religions lead to God and to heaven. So they reinterpret the gospel. And they give, as Paul says, another gospel, but it's not the true gospel. And the other thing they may say, well, this may be truth for you, but I know better. Right, they, they 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 can reinterpret what Scripture says. Number four, the fourth uh, false teaching that comes into into a church is uh, feelings and emotions are emphasized over facts over the Scripture. Uh, if you go down to verse six, it says, "When the woman saw that the tree was good for food." and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she, gave, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her. I want you to look what's going on here. It says, she saw the tree was good for food. It was good for food. There was an appeal to her flesh, her feelings, and her emotions at this point. Wow, that, that does look pretty good, you know? Kind of, kind of like the the way that fruit looks. I bet it would taste good. Then it says it was a delight to the eyes. That means she looked at it and she started thinking about it and said, "Wow, you know, I I really would. I I bet that would taste pretty good." And she starts thinking about it and mulling over in her mind. And before long, that "I bet it would taste good" turns into, "I've got to have that. I've got to get this. I've got to take this fruit." It becomes lust. Okay. James 1.15 warns us, he says, Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Okay? And then it says, 
it was uh, it was desirable to make one wise. That, that word wise and wisdom keeps popping up because that was one of Satan's main things. Okay, it was one of his gifts he was given. And when it when it's desirable to make one wise, that appeals to her pride. Okay, so we see this pattern, a pattern of sin. It begins with an attraction of feelings, emotions, this type of thing. And then it enters the mind, it enters the thought, and begins to percolate there, okay? And before long, that thought turns into a must-have. This is a lust. This is something I've got to have. And at that point, it turns into the deed. It turns into sin. So, so it's, very, it's very important that, that we are aware of the type of things that Satan uses to bring... Uh, false teachings in, in, into, uh, into our lives, you know. And so a false teacher, in, in this case, they use experiences, feelings, and emotions that are valued above objective truth. And the feelings and emotions become the authority, not the Scripture. Um, w- w- one area I've really seen this coming to the church is uh, in... Uh, I'll just use the term in some of the worship songs you hear, okay? Uh, if you step back and look at some of these worship songs, uh, some of them are very sensual in nature. And, and they're, they're very poetic, and they're kind of open to interpretation. And so um, sometimes you're sitting there, and I listen to some of these songs, and I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I'm singing about the holy, holy, holy God. Am I singing about my wife? Am I singing about my dog, my shotgun, or am I singing about Target? Honestly, some of these songs, you could put Target in there, and the songs are appropriate for Target. Okay? Now, I, I, I kind of understand to a certain extent, whenever you are grounded in Scripture, you know when you read these songs, you interpret them in the right way. But if someone were to come in, and they don't have a background in the Bible, okay, uh, whatever reason they feel led to come to church and they show up and they see some of these songs, they probably, they're, they're, what message are they getting? Okay? We, 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 need to be, we need to be very careful about the message. And we need to focus on God and, and not on ourself. Uh, so, you know, one thing I do whenever I see a new worship song now, one thing I do evaluation is, can this song only be said about God just based on what's in that word, in that song alone, okay? Uh, you know, when you start singing holy, 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 you know, uh, creating some of the songs like we did today, they can only be said about God. I can't say that about my wife or my shotgun or my truck or anything like that, right? They can only be said about God. So um, we, need to, we need to be careful and we need to stop and think about these things and, and not get taken in. It would be easy to get taken in. Now, I, I would tell you, are feelings and emotions bad? No, because God created us with feelings, some of us with feelings. Some of us don't have as much feelings as others, right? Um, I, I'm an engineer. I, I don't, I'm not real big on the feelings and emotion area, but I got it. I do have some, right? Um, so, so we do have feelings. That's part of our creation, right? But you know what? Some of us have hunger, and some of us eat too much and have big bellies, okay? So anything that we're created with that's not kept under the authority of God and Scripture can be bad, including feelings or emotions. So I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying we shouldn't have them. I'm saying that they need to be subject, like everything else in our life, to God's Word, 
Okay? I, I hope you're hearing a theme coming through today. God's Word. That is the most important thing that, that you can do. Um, so what type of comments might you hear from someone who's operating in feelings and emotions and not from the Word of God? Uh, you know, that Bible verse doesn't resonate with me. I don't know what their freak, resonant frequency is, but whatever it is, it's different from the Scripture, right? So, you know, or that doesn't match my experience. It's really big on experience. Uh, you know, I, I can't believe Jesus would send good people to hell. Okay? Uh, I can't worship a God who would fill in the blank. Or I can only believe in a God of love. Love, 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 right? Here we are back on love. Well, let's define what love means, not what we want it to mean. So we're to have feelings as part of our creation. However, those feelings must always be subject to God's word. All right, number five. Uh, the, the last way false teachings are working in, into, into the church, into believers' lives, or in, in, in we can be sucked into this, is there an emphasis on works instead of grace. An emphasis on works instead of grace. So in this, uh, verse 6 we read that, that they ate, Verse 7 says, And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew, and they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Uh, the deed is done, now what? Okay? First of all, their eyes were open. Their eyes were open, people. Okay? And I'm sure they saw a lot more than what they were expecting to see. I just can imagine what, what this rude awakening must have been. Okay, now, was this knowledge of good and evil all of a sudden they had, was it a good thing according to this verse? No, it wasn't. Because what did they try to do? They tried to hide it, didn't they? They experienced shame for the first time in their lives. They, they, they experienced this sin, okay? They had dread because what was going to happen in the cool of the evening, if you read verses 8 and 9 on further, who was going to come calling? God was, every day it appears, there was a pattern that God would come in the cool of the day and talk to them, walk with them and talk to them. They knew after they ate, they would have to face God, okay? There was dread, there was sin. So, so what did they do? They sowed and made, okay? So instead of crying out to God and confessing their sin and repenting of their sin, they tried to cover their sin and their shame, Okay? So man's first inclination was not confession, but to cover and to hide and try to do it himself. How can I fix this? What can I do about this? And this lie creeps into many churches and many people today. And the gospel of Christ is traded for a gospel of works. If only I could do more. If only I could cover this. But the problem is, when we sin, we have an offended and infinitely Holy God. We, we don't understand God is the problem, okay? And what's God's standard? What's God's standard for works? Perfection. Thank you, Laura. He wants us to be perfect. So, if we would give everybody in here a marker, and, say, and we spent a week, we said we're going to stay here for a week, and we're going to start writing sins on the wall. Everybody gets to start writing sins, and no sins can be repeated. So we, and we fill the wall up with sins. 
And then we say, what is, of all these sins we've written on the walls, what is the smallest, minutest sin that we can imagine? What is the smallest, infinitely small, most innocent sin that we could come up with? Let's, let's circle it. And then let's pretend somebody, a baby, the only sin they have in their entire life was that one little sin. Okay? What would be their standing before God? They would be guilty. Okay? Because God is infinitely holy. His standard is perfection. There's, we can't, because that day that they ate of the fruit, we died spiritually. We don't have an inclination to even seek God, much less do enough good to cover our sins, okay? All right. So, how does this look in the church today? What does it sound like? You hear people say, sin doesn't separate us from God. We're made in His image. And once again, He loves everybody. Okay? Or, God didn't actually require sacrifice for our sins. There's actually a a leading teacher of false teaching who's influencing a lot of Christians through His direct teachings and folks that sit under Him today. Okay? And, And what He's saying is, um, Jesus was not born God. He was born a man. And he didn't become Redeemer until he died for our sins. Okay? And so he has this, this, this idea of works. Okay? And people say, we don't need to preach the gospel. We just need to show love. And by bringing justice to the oppressed and provision to the needy. Right? So let me ask you a question. Should we, should we bring um, justice uh, to the oppressed people? We should, excuse me. Yeah, we should. However, we should bring justice as defined in Scripture. Okay? The justice doesn't need an adjective. Justice is as, as it is defined in the Scripture. Okay? And then provision for the needy. You know, I'm going to tell you, church, it is, it is our job to take care of needy people, not the government. Okay? I mean, part of the reason our country is in the shape it's in is because the church has not been doing what the church is supposed to be doing there. Okay? Uh, they'll say, is Jesus really the only way to heaven? You know, they ask a question. They really don't want an answer, but they, they just want to ask these open-ended questions. Uh, you know, we just have to be good and we'll make it. You know, just be good. Good, good, good. Good by whose standard? How good? It's a problem, right? Or man's basically uh, good in his heart. So, so those are the five, five areas. That, there's probably many others, but those are five that I got out of this scripture of false teachings. And, and, and the problem uh, I want to warn you about is kind of taken in isolation sometimes. Uh, they can sound good. They can sound right. But we need to be very aware of what's going on, okay? Th- there's a danger, okay? And the danger of these false teachings is that they divert us from the course that we're supposed to be on. All right, so uh, I, I, I'm an engineer, as I said before. Uh, part of the reason I'm an engineer is because of, uh, of NASA. So, so back in the 60s, when I first started, I don't know, following the, all the Mercury and Gemini and Apollo programs that, that NASA sent up, I followed every one of those and was very interested in them. If you remember, the Apollo space program was to put man on the moon, which... 
Apollo 11, 12, 14, 15, 16, 17 put uh, men uh, on the moon. Um, so what they had to do is, as you're aware, that they blasted off. In the Apollo program, they were circling the Earth two or three or four times until they got the lunar module out of the uh, command, out of the uh, uh, where it was stowed in the upper stage of the third stage of the Saturn V rocket. And then, uh, say the moon was here, the Earth is here, they'd get on this side opposite the uh, moon on the Earth, and they would fire their rockets so whenever they got to this point uh, that they would be going at a velocity they could escape the gravity of the Earth and get to the moon, okay? So, so the moon's about 240,000 miles away. Now, they had to be very accurate with where they were. And, and here's why. If... If you know in a circle, they're 360 degrees in a circle, okay? So if I take one of those degrees and divide it by four, and I'm off by one-fourth of a degree. When I got to the moon, I would be off by a 1,000 miles, and here's what would happen. If I'm 1,000 miles one way, I would splat into the moon like a bug on a windshield, okay? That would not be pretty. It would be over with real quick, but it wouldn't be pretty, right? If I was off a 1,000 miles the other way, I would miss the moon, and I wouldn't have enough fuel to stop and turn around and come back because part of what they do when they, when they insert in lunar orbit, they use some of the gravity of the, of the moon as they're going around to slow them down when they do their, their burn, okay? So if I'm off by a quarter of a degree, I'm going to miss my target by 1,000 miles. So when that Apollo spacecraft is flying to the moon, the whole time they are triangulating stars, Okay, and they actually used a sextant, and they would triangulate stars. And they would do minor course corrections along the way. It took about three days to get there. They would do minor course corrections, so when they got to the moon, they were in the right spot, and they could go into lunar orbit. Okay? You, you know, it, it's the same way in our lives. Whenever we find that we are off course, we have missed something, we have followed some false teaching, we immediately need to stop and get back on course. And Sandy and I have talked, and we've seen somehow we have been pulled into some false teachings over the years. And we realized later in the Word that, you know, that was not really right. We shouldn't have been a part of that, okay? Or, or it's just very, um, it's very important that we continue to monitor ourselves and we look at these course corrections. So how do we combat this? How do we combat false teaching? Number one, prayer, Okay. I think chapter 6 of our, our life group, we talk about prayer, right? Our prayer needs to be intentional, it needs to be specific, and it needs to be strategic. We need to be a person of prayer, okay? Number two, we need to be a person of this word, of the Bible, right? We need to be in the scriptures. In four one one, for your information, okay? 10 or 15 minutes a day of reading a Bible verse or two is not going to cut it in this world. Okay? We need to be in the Word. We need to be studying. We need to be taking Scripture apart. What does it say? Okay? What are God's commands? What are God's promises? What warnings are in God's Scriptures? Okay? We talked about this in Chapter 5 of Life Group. Our pastors are excellent at doing this. Okay? They take the scriptures, they pull them apart, we see how they handle the scriptures, how they pull application out, uh, how they interpret the scriptures, um, <clears throat> how they apply the scriptures. We need to be doing the same thing. We need to be taking notes. I wish I had started taking notes years ago. Uh, the other night, Cindy asked me about, uh, do you have any scripture on the sovereignty of God? So I went to the personal concordance I've started keeping, and I pulled out, I don't know, a dozen scriptures on the, on the sovereignty of God, and that was just out of... 
two or three books of the Bible that I've been through. We need to be developing our own system. We need to be studying so we know what the Bible says, okay? Um, And finally, we need to realize that we are in a spiritual battle. What we do is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle, and it cannot be fought in the flesh. That's why we need to be a person of prayer. Uh, We need to be in the Word, okay? This warfare is very real. However, there's a very big difference between the war, spiritual war we're fighting, and war that we think about whenever we think about armies fighting, okay? When armies fight a battle, they're fighting to win, right? They, They want to win, okay? We're not fighting to win. You know why? Christ has already won that battle, Okay? He has won. He has the victory. He's already defeated Satan. Okay? Satan has been defeated. Okay? We fight from a position of victory. We don't fight for victory. Christ won the war when he was hanging on the cross and when he rose from the, the, the dead. Okay? We may have battles we go through. Every one of us could probably stand up and talk about a battle they've had this week. Just this week. Okay? We all have battles we go through. But the war has been won. The victory is ours to receive, not achieve. Okay? So, conclusion. You've been waiting for that for, for I don't know, however long, right? And unlike some other pastors we've had here, I'm not going to speak for another 20 minutes. Just kidding. Love you all. So, in conclusion, uh, final words. Number one, stay alert. Okay? Be aware. Uh, don't allow, allow yourself to be lulled into a false sense of security. Okay? Number two, don't be fooled by the words and the tactics that are used by the enemy. Satan and his dominions are actively involved to deceive and, if possible, even lead astray the elect. We need to be aware of what's going on. And then the last thing, prepare for battle. Pray, study the word. One other thing I want to encourage you, stay in fellowship. We need each other, okay? I, you know, I, I was so thankful last year when, when, the, when the, the COVID hit that at least we had technology that we could have uh, sermons on Sunday. Okay, th- th- that was, it, it was good to, you know, to see Mike's face uh, on the, uh, you know, YouTube. And it's like, you know, this is something that's kind of normal, at least to hear, you know, Mike preach a sermon. But it was so good when we came back together. Okay, I felt like I was with family again. I mean, you guys are family. I felt like I was with family. We need each other. And, I mean, that's one thing we've been talking about in life group for, for a couple of years now. We, we, we've got to be in family here. We, we need each other, okay? So Christ has won this battle, so let's rest in Him. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to You this morning. Lord, we just thank You that, uh, that You've given us the Word uh, Lord, we confess that we don't always follow it like we should. Uh, Father, we, we realize that, that we need to be uh, more into the Word. Father, we, we just need to be following You. Father, help us to be aware of what's going on. Help us to be aware of uh, false teaching that comes into our lives. Uh, help us to recognize it. And Father, help us to encourage one another as we walk through this uh, earth. And Father, most of all, we thank You that You sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Father, we thank you that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, through uh, there, there's no other path to you. But, Father, we thank you that he lived the perfect life and that uh, he paid the penalty, the, the cost that we can never pay. 
Lord, go with us now as we go through this week, and I pray that you would just uh, uh, continue to uh, shepherd us and uh, keep us in your word. In your name we pray.